the way I see it, you have three tracks as a theater major, right? Three tracks. Uh, track one is the 5% who make it, and then uh, track two is the 47.5% who go to work at Disney World, and track three is the 47.5% who join Antifa. I, I'm sorry, those are just your only options. There's nothing else. Hi, I'm Jonathan, the Sweaty Oracle. I'm going to try this podcasting thing. I'm just going to talk until I can't listen to myself talk anymore. Don't have a script. Don't know what I'm going to talk about. Complete train of consciousness. You know, it's, it's weird to me to think about that I spent two years working at Disney World. Sometimes I feel like that is the absolute best decision I've ever made in my life because everything good that has happened to me has happened to me because of someone that I met through Disney World. And it's also every bad thing has hap- that has happened to me has happened because of a decision I made working at Disney World. Vast ripples came from the decision to work at Disney World. And I constantly notice that Disney is like this black hole. My friends quit. They go to another job. They come back. They quit. They go to another job. They come back. They quit. They go to another job. They come back and they stay back. And, and, and that just seems to be the trajectory that I easily could have taken. I think I was supposed to be in the 47.5% who worked at Disney World. I think that was my tract as a theater person. I agree with Antifa. I'm just a little bit lazy and I'm a little bit tired. My back hurts. I will go protest, but like, my back hurts. My back hurts. So my only other option is to make it. When I used to work at Disney World, I used to do the most horrific things. I turned it into this giant Andy Kaufman routine because it bugged the hell out of me that I was making $8 an hour working for the the biggest, most profitable media conglomerate in the history of history. And I had some friends who were sleeping in the cafeteria because they couldn't afford gas to go home in between their shifts. I, every month, was late on rent. I was driving a moped Do you know the shame it feels to be in a polyester pirate costume on a moped driving to work for $8 an hour working for a cartoon mouse that too many adults in this country deify? Do you know what it's like? Some of you know what it's like. You'll never feel something more degrading. So I turned this into this giant Andy Kaufman routine. I was like, I didn't even know who Andy Kaufman was at the time, but I, I, I was doing his bag for a little bit. I just decided I was going to make my fellow cast members laugh, and I was going to make myself laugh, and if I didn't kill any guest in the process through ride operator error, it was going to be a success in my book. So sometimes my day, the good days, would start off with me going to the dressing room where a little lad who played Peter Pan would sell me a little tiny baggie of this substance uh, that we'll call it pixie dust. We'll call it pixie dust. And I would snort my pixie dust and boy, boy would I fly. I'd fly all the way to, let's say, Haunted Mansion. Now, if I was working Haunted Mansion like this, my favorite thing to do would be to say there are ghosts in here after every single sentence I said. So I would be like, you gotta step away from the walls. There are ghosts in here! Please, only three to a buggy. There are ghosts in here! 
Welcome to the Haunted Mansion. Your fast passes are in 15 minutes. There are ghosts in here. And management didn't really know what to do about that form of shenanigan because they were like, he's not lying. He's There are ghosts in here. And they couldn't tell you to act if you worked frontline at Disney because God forbid Disney pay those people a livable wage. Uh, if they tell like a Jungle Cruise skipper or a Haunted Mansion person to act in a certain way, to act at all, Disney technically has to put them in actor's equity. So Disney is not going to do that. So I was praying that they would go, Jonathan, can you just be a little spooky? I was praying for it. But they didn't. They knew. Wow, that was 10 years ago. I think Disney workers now are making like $15 an hour, and I always wonder would I have stayed for $15 an hour? Because, like, it's really not that bad of a job for, like, $17 an hour and up. But when you're getting paid eight, it's the most excruciatingly awful thing in the world. One of my favorite things to do would be to sneak dirty, 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 dirty jokes onto my Jungle Cruise. My absolute favorite that I ever wrote is Up Ahead are the Lions, and don't worry about that zebra. That zebra is just demonstrating the favorite position of our female cast member. You lie back and get eaten. Our, oh, look, we're in headhunter territory. Usually when I hunt for head, I go to Vista Way. That's a deep cut for you Disney cast members. Disney didn't like that. There, there, were, there were problems with that. And also, I kept telling all these presidential assassination jokes at the Hall of Presidents where I would go, uh, no smoking except for that hole in Mr. Kennedy's head. <laughs> or one time, uh, this woman asked me, why the ride was, why the attraction was down. We were, it was broken for some reason. So I just leaned in really close and I said, ma'am, you have to understand that Mr. Lincoln is very nervous about going into a theater after what happened last time. And she went to City Hall and complained about me. Actually, my favorite bit that I ever did at Disney is I would save my farts all day. And one of the positions at Hall of Presidents is right before the show starts, you walk up to the front of the theater and there's a little podium and you hit a button that starts the show. But the first part of the show, it's like a 30-second pre-timed spotlight that hits you at this little podium. And you're supposed to take a microphone and go, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hall of Presidents. To preserve the dignity of this presentation, please, no eating, drinking, or smoking in the auditorium. And now Academy Award winner Morgan Freeman takes you through the Hall of Presidents. So what I would do is I would save my farts up, like really just hold them in, so that when I said, for the dignity of this presentation, I could take a little pause and let out farts. <laughs> I also used to sometimes sneak in. I used to sometimes go, and now Kids' Choice Award winner for Dolphin Tale 2 Morgan Freeman takes you through the Hall of Presidents. They got me on that one. I, I, I got in trouble for those things. I probably should have now that I'm thinking about it, but it was fun at the time. Always wonder if I was getting paid what they're getting paid now, would I not give a flying fuck about Amber, Ardolino, Leah Michelle, and Tova? Because it'd be kind of nice not to give a fuck about Amber, Ardolino. I'm going to call her Amber, Amber, Amber Tortolino. By the way, for the rest of this podcast, Leah, Michelle, and Tova, it'd be great just to not care that those people exist. Just really quick, somebody got upset at me because I made fun of Italians 
Uh, in my video about Amber, I made fun of Italians who were taking uh, Latina roles from, from women of color. So uh, I just wanted to issue an apology. A poly walnuts. A pizza pie. I woke up this morning, got myself the gabagool. And I hope you Italians take that as my deepest sorrow for my gross racism against you people, Italians, who it is totally possible to be racist against, as we all know. Now that that's out of the way, I uh, am so ready for Leah, Tova, and Amber to get what's coming to them, and I think what's coming to them is dinner theater. <laughs> How much longer are these marginally talented people going to keep skirting by while treating everybody around them like shit? Like, how many more chances? They're not delivering anything that, like... There are four ensemble members in every Broadway show who can do exactly what Leah Michelle is doing. That's just the end-all, be-all of it. You know, people will work with a difficult performer if they're worth working with because of the quality of their performance. Elaine Stritch never wanted for work in her life, and you should see her writer for A Little Night Music. I'll try to pull it up in a second. And everyone still loved Elaine because Elaine delivered. And Elaine didn't have hate in her heart. And nobody could do what Elaine did. I'm much more interested in talents like that. Let me see if I can find her writer for a little night music. One second. Yeah, I'm just going to read you guys her entire writer. And if you don't know what a writer is, it's basically the demands of an artist, right? So this is when Elaine... Uh, had just gotten cast as Madame Armfeld in A Little Night Music, her last Broadway role. Uh, Elaine said at the time, committing to eight shows a week would be a big thing for me, so it's something that I have to carefully consider. She, she goes on. Well, here <laughs> were Elaine's nightly demands. Here, I'm, I'm quoting her contract writer. Elaine Stritch contract writer. Food. One plate nightly of Denty Moore's corned beef hash, not the canned kind, but from Denty Moore's on 53rd Street and Broadway. Patty, the day shift bartender, knows how I like it. Not too dry. He may be retired, but they know where to reach him in County Cork for the summer. <laughs> One plate horn and hard art health salad. They have this at the Automat on 57th and 6th. One chock full of nuts date nut bread sandwich with cream cheese. All the chock full of nuts have these, but the one in Grand Central Station near the tracks where you catch the 20th Century Limited has the best. Two bratwurst and with sauerkraut and hot mustard, no bun from Zoom Zoom. Keep them hot till my 11 o'clock number is over. I like them after that, but before the curtain call. One dessert crepe to be delivered at midnight. Maurice the chef at La Crepe on 55th Street makes these just for me. <laughs> with, uh, with Splenda instead of sugar. One Eben Yurds blackout cake nightly for my guest. Drinks. 
Two bottles daily, no calorie cherry. Two body bottles daily, no calorie root beer. Two bottles daily, tab. Two small orange drink. The Nedrix at 53rd Street Station makes a good one. If I go into diabetic shot, this does the trick. Others. Fresh syringes. The drugstore in the basement of the Hotel Asher. <laughs> Aster has the size that I prefer. <laughs> Norel face powder and liquid base. Miss Horitz, the manager at B. Altman's cosmetic counter, knows which shades I like. <laughs> Bonwent Teller seamless semi-opaque tights in top du jour. <laughs> Miss Feinberg... Miss Feinberg by the third floor, 53rd Street Elevator, knows what I like. Eight fresh pair a week. A sewing kit with a multicolored thread braid. Lambstons on the 6th and 58 has these. Woolworth's House Foam Isotoners. Lady size five. Eight pairs a week. <laughs> she wanted an isot- a, a fresh Slipper for every day of the week. Cashmere lap robe in beige. The gift department at Orbox on 34th carries these. And their prices are good. Buy two. (laughs) She's just using them to go shopping now. A dressing room guest book with leather binding. Uh, Bernito's has nice ones. Polaroid camera to snapshot me and my guests. Plus fresh colored film packs for each night. Eight new men's white dress shirts. Pinpoint cotton spread collar. Size 14 and a half, 32. French cuff from Rogers Pete each night. <laughs> two electric coffee percolators. One regular, one Sanka. Two house seats for whatever, of, for whichever of my friends. And then she names... No, Marlene, Judy, Princess Margaret, Margaret, and Tony Snowden, Marie Callas, and Ari Onassis, Cardinal Spellman, Anita Luz, Arlene and Martin Gable, Joe and Rosie Fervor, Fervor? I think I'm pronouncing that right, Gar and Ruth Kane. She just goes on to name a bunch of dead people, <laughs> the people who are not alive. Car and driver, all day, all night, see if Juan, the Dominican driver from Skull's Angels, is available. (laughs) Can you imagine what Juan, the Dominican Republic driver from Skull's Angels and Elaine would talk about during their car rides? That's the podcast that should be happening right now. Car for Kenneth to come to the theater and watch, set, and comb out my hair at 5 on show nights and noon on matinee days. Telephone tie line to the front desk at the Carlisle. Their operators know all my important numbers by heart. Regular desk model in white. I don't like the princess phone. And they were more than willing to work with those demands and more because Elaine stretches talent justified those demands being made in their eyes and in my eyes. People don't really feel that way about Leah Michelle. Funny Girl has sold well for about a month into her performance because people like NASCAR races. People liked 
you know, you know, it's like going to go see Spider-Man after the accident happened. You're going to go hoping it crashes a little bit. That's why ticket sales went up. Not hoping for the safety of the actors, but that is the intrigue. The intrigue right now is that Satan won. The devil succeeded. God lost. Jesus fell to the ground at the feet of she who must not be named, Leah Michelle. That is the intrigue right now, that this mean, mean woman is on Broadway. And yes, there are some Gleeks in the audience who are keeping ticket sales up, but how many Gleeks are left in 2020? Thank God you're a dying breed. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, if you listen to the bootlegs of Beanie's, even her, there's a bootleg of her dress rehearsal and the first, like, 10 previews. The audience is treating it like a rock concert. They're going absolutely wild in the same way they're going wild for Leah Michelle. Because I want to let you in on something. Audiences typically do not go wild for performances. There are exceptions to this. Audiences go wild for their ability to pay for a Broadway show with someone they know in it. Audiences go wild for themselves. It's almost a form of narcissism. And yes, I have seen audiences lose their mind for, like, Patti LuPone's Ladies Who Lunch. Uh, I gave a mid-show standing ovation to uh, Gavin Squidward, I forget his last name, in in Spongebob. I was on LSD, but I did. Audiences are not losing their mind for Leah Michelle. They're losing their mind because they're there in a cultural Broadway moment. Same with Beanie. They were there to see the first performances a funny girl had had on Broadway in over 50 years. People cheer for themselves in the theater. At the end, people stand up for themselves. There, again, are exceptions. But generally speaking, that's what most audiences are doing. Leah's going to peter out before... Is peter out an okay term to say? Leah's going to fizzle out before the holiday season, and I highly suspect that the August Wilson will have a new show in it. And and, and I, I wonder all the time, what exactly could this production have done not to end up this way? And the biggest thing w- w- was not to go cheap, which they did, The sets and the costume are party city, baby. It's almost like they made them so that they could rent them out to regional theaters afterwards to make some kind of money back because it is not a Broadway quality set. And that's why I don't think Beanie's parents gave money for Beanie to be in the show. I don't think that's what was going on. Because the set wouldn't have sucked if Beanie's parents gave money. And they had to make massive changes to a lot of hydraulics that were going to be in the Folly set. Gone. I don't think any money was given by Beanie's parents. And it would have to be disclosed, I'm pretty sure. I don't think that happened. I think it was a bad production of Funny Girl that should have never come over. Michael Mayer, God love you for Hedwig, but... We can't, like, lie and say he hasn't been painting by numbers for a little bit. His Little Shop of Horrors revival and Funny Girl, <clears throat> excuse me, are are the most, like, tracing over the lines of past performances, versions of those shows that one can do. And maybe that's mean to say, but that is how I truthfully, truthfully, truthfully and honestly feel. 
And the other big sin was not waiting until Lady Gaga had a free schedule to play Fanny. There is no reason to revive this show outside of Lady Gaga wanting to do it. None at all. Bartlett Shear and Lady Gaga should have been doing this. Or give it to Sam Gold and Daniel Fish and cast someone like MJ Rodriguez as Fanny and completely take the show out of its out of its historical context to try to find something new and meaningful. Because this now brings us to everyone is learning that Funny Girl is a bad show with four great songs. The Sunset Boulevard problem. Oh, <laughs> uh, what can you do? Without Funny Girl, where would Broadway girls who have gotten fired for bullying go for refuge? They would be on the street. The street, I tell you. Anyway. This season is getting a little bit weird. We still don't really know what's going into the Nederlander. We don't really know at all. I've heard the Bedwetter. I've heard Suffs. I've heard Spring Awakening. I've heard Spring Awakening is definitely happening and they have their money together. I've heard Spring Awakening is definitely not happening. Here's another tidbit, by the way. The Spring Awakening concert with the original Broadway cast was 100% planning to transfer either on Broadway or to like an off-Broadway space to a, for like a limited run. But Leah doing Funny Girl, of course, kind of chutzpah. That is chutzpah the right word? I don't think that's right at all. Leah stopped that from happening. To be honest, I like sadly find myself caring less and less about a lot of Broadway because I will never be able to get over how much Broadway protects its abusers. We can all name a dozen people who everyone knows has done terrible things and who work constantly in the Broadway community. These people often do terrible things against other people of the theater community. And the theater calls itself a family. And instead of protecting the victims in the family, it protects the abusers. Like some kind of inbred hillbilly, like the Duggars. Broadway is like the Duggars. There's more than you think there should be. And they got some secrets that they've hidden away for a long time. The difference is the Duggars saw consequences. Broadway will not. And it becomes harder and harder to care for a Broadway that gives Tony Awards to a musical that tries to rewrite history in order to hero, like, heroize, is that a word? In order to, like, exalt the most prolific child rapist in United States history Michael Jackson. That's Broadway. Broadway is having William Ivy Long back to the reopening of Chicago as if dozens of boys had not accused him of sexual assault. Broadway is having Scott Rudin always lurking around the corner because Broadway's not going to tell him to go away. Broadway told that guy from Paradise Square to go away, Garth. Garth should be told to go away. But Garth was not, allegedly, 
forcing the fist of interns through their computer screens. Scott was, and everybody on Broadway knew about it. There is a movie about it that a man wrote about his experience working with Scott Rudin as his assistant. At least that's what it's always been rumored to be based on. The movie also stars Kevin Spacey, so... Broadway becomes harder and harder to care about the more abusers I know are working on Broadway. I got a blind item I can't share yet because I'm still researching it about a person who goes from show to show to show, gets fired from every prolific theater company in New York City for sexual aggression or sexual assault and continues to get work. I alluded to this. Everybody on Broadway knows who James Barber's victim is. She's a Tony-nominated actress. And no, I'm never going to tell you who it is. If you know, you know. I'm not outing some girl's story. Broadway pretends to be chummy-chummy with this person. Broadway also is chummy-chummy with the person who raped her when she was a child, James Barber. James Barber served his time, yeah, sure, went right into Phantom of the Opera playing the lead, and you know what else? I heard that they would let school groups come and do talkbacks with him. It becomes harder and harder to care about a Broadway that won't speak out against these things. You know, the movie industry is obviously not perfect. It is basically a Mickey Mouse monopoly at this point. But the movie industry at least was like, fuck, we really got to get rid of these predators. If only for their own self-preservation, for their own self-image preservation. Broadway, on the other hand, has hidden them deeper in the ranks so that they can continue to get away with their crimes. I loved Ivo Van Hooves. I think I've out, Ivo, everybody tells me, Ivo, Ivo, Ivo Van Hooves. West Side Story. I saw it like 10 times. I really fell in love with it. And now it kind of makes me feel sick to my stomach that I was knowingly supporting a production, even if I thought it was great, that had, number one, hired an Iranian man to play a Puerto Rican. And that man mentioned had gotten fired from the New York City Ballet for horribly inappropriate, degrading acts towards another dancer, where he shared her private pictures in a group chat of other men in the company. That went, that happened. Amar got fired. Straight to West Side Story, where there were so many young, young, young girls, including the actress playing Maria, making their Broadway debut. The producers didn't care. They cast a man who was too old and not the right race for a role who they knew who they knew. That is a statement because there are so many other people of Puerto Rican descent who could have played that role. And the production knew that. Amar did not have any kind of spectacular talent. Broadway makes the statement over and over and over and over again. 
that it will protect its abusers. When does that stop? Who does it have to happen to? For Broadway to care, how many people does it have to happen to for Broadway to care? And just quickly, when I'm on the subject of Amar, he was also in the absolute worst thing I've ever seen on Broadway. And I'm not going to say some movie. I'm not going to say Pretty Women. I'm not going to say some movie-to-musical adaptation. Jack O'Brien, I had to throw something when talking about it. Like, I, I threw my glasses. That's the sound you just heard. That's how much my body physically hates this production. Jack O'Brien's production of Carousel. I have never seen a more community theater-ass production especially direction-wise, on a Broadway stage. If I didn't love Carousel, it would have been comical how Jack O'Brien took a knife to its belly and let all of its innards fall out while it was still kicking and alive. The day we let Jack O'Brien work again... Oh... And with that, that was my first podcast. How'd, how'd I do? More soon. Love you guys. Uh, Jonathan, the sweaty oracle, on September 14th at 5.30 p.m. 2022. Signing off. Until the next time.